There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. Welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Brian here, and we've got another full house tonight. Joe's here, Chad's here, and we've got a special guest, and I'm going to throw it right over to Chad. We're talking about foraging tonight, and of the three of us, Chad definitely is the most educated. So, Chad, I'm going to throw it over to you to introduce our guest and get into it. Yeah, so in by, I guess, educated, that means like five years, so I would be, a, I guess, technically a fifth grader, That's maybe. Way more. <laughs> Brian and I are still in preschool. We're I'm not so, even bored. I'm, I'm still kind of learning my ABCs and arithmetic with it. Uh, so, uh, what, geez, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, I'll introduce uh, Chris Daniels. He's from the Gentleman Forager and Forced to Fork. Uh, they're based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I actually talked to him Gosh, we we were at it was at my fiance's. I think it's her great aunt. Yeah, great aunt's ninety something birthday party. Yeah, sister which, Lucy. Wow, which is wow. Yeah, <laughs> and long long genes in our family. Yeah, so that awesome. was one of the reasons why I pulled the plug and and put the ring on her finger. Yeah, <laughs> but no, we. I mean, it felt like. I was talking to you for five minutes and it probably was at least an hour and it was just foraging. So uh, just to kind of, I guess, prep the, the individuals that are listening. Some of you, you may be snarling your nose because it's foraging, but foraging is a a huge thing uh, that's started at least with me, but it, it really, I guess, rounds out that wild game aspect. So for me, uh, and for a lot of like Brian and Joe, um, wild meat is a, a big part of our diet. Um, but there's the other aspect too of accompanying things. And uh, mushrooms were a thing that I always snarled my nose at until my dad was like, "Hey, you got to try a, a morel mushroom." I'm like, that thing looks like it's from outer space. I'm not trying that thing. But my rule of thumb is I always try it once. And as soon as I tried that, I was hooked. So, Chris, why don't you kind of uh, tell us about yourself, and we can go from there. Yeah, so I've been an outdoorsman forever, and thanks to my dad, um, took me fishing early, took me hunting early, put up with my shenanigans when I was young. Um, one of the great places that we like to go and, and now take my children is head up to the hunting shack and just be in the woods and there's not much cell coverage there, which is always nice. You can kind of get away and escape things for a while. Um, but yeah, I grew up hunting and fishing. Um, went to school uh, in Duluth, learned how to fly fish up there. Ended up spending, uh, after I graduated, I learned how to uh, fly fish on the North Shore. Um, went up to Alaska after I graduated from college. Been up there a couple times. Um, been deer hunting my whole life. Been out in Colorado a couple times. Uh, elk and mule deer hunting. Um, pheasant hunting in South Dakota, uh, 
duck hunting in North Dakota, Minnesota, um, fly fishing all over, um, and really enjoying the outdoors. And got uh, the the job I used to do. Uh, I used to have a lot of free time in the fall, and really wanted to get into bow hunting to to spend more time at our hunting shack. Mm-hmm. And just another excuse again to get in the woods and um, play with four wheelers and chainsaws and all the fun stuff that we like to do. Still <laughs> um, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we were up there, and the first mushroom I found was a chicken of the woods, which is you know one of those ones that just stands out. It's bright orange and and bright yellow, and you can see it a long way in the woods. And I found that, and I knew what that was. I'd, I'd seen it enough in doing a little, the little bit of research I had that I found chicken of the woods. I was really excited. And it turns out it was way past prime. You know, the first mushroom you harvest is always not going to be once, <laughs> once you have a little bit of knowledge, it was like chewing on sawdust, but I found a wild mushroom. Yum. Yeah, exactly. It was delicious. Pre-dehydrated. Yeah. And my wife was like, are you sure that's not going to kill us? Um, yeah. Which the taste was not good. Um, and then bow hunting, I think the next year, well, I'd actually, we'd, um, one of our friends, um, you know, Brian Gronsky, his dad had always picked wild mushrooms and we had them in a wild rice hot dish at the hunting shack. And I was like, oh, these are so tasty. I love these things. And I've always loved mushrooms. I mean, I even eat the bad ones out of a can. I just I like mushrooms. I don't do that anymore, but I used to. But, you know, it's like, well, if he can find mushrooms, then, you know, they've got to be out there, right? So. Yeah started doing more research and finding stuff on the web. And I found black trumpets walking out of my, out of my bow stand in September. And that's a really rare run. A lot of people are like, I'd never found that. I want to find that. And they found a lot of other stuff and it's, it grows in a pretty, pretty finite area in the state in any, any reliable quantities. Um, and I had purchased a book actually at Lake Superior Trading Post on mushrooms. And so I went, ran, I picked a couple of them and I ran back to the hunting shack and I'm like, I think this is it. I think this is it. Well, it has to be it. It can't be anything else. And I am and oh my gosh, it was, it changed my life. <laughs> wow. And, That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those instances where, you know, just being in the woods and your, your curiosity and, and this was something I was curious about. Now you found another really incredible, delicious food source yeah. that is fun to, fun to go out and, and chase, really. And that's the one thing that, that I liken it to a lot is finding mushrooms and finding mushrooms successfully and consistently in different areas is really no different than hunting or fishing. Yeah. Mm. You know, you, if you look at a lake map, a lake you've never been on, you can eliminate 90% of the water, they say, right, just by looking at the structure. Yeah. Sure. Or if you're hunting, whether it be elevation or you're hunting, you know, for, for out west or you're hunting ducks or geese or whatever you're hunting, you're looking at a map and you're looking at specific areas. You're yeah. looking for, you know, potholes or you're looking for funnel areas for deer. And same thing with mushrooms. You're looking for uh, changes in elevation. You're looking for water. You're looking for which direction the slope faces. You're looking for soil types. You're looking for tree types. So the, there's a lot of interest in really taking your hunting and fishing skills, or you don't have to have those if you just want to be in the woods and learn something new. I mean, it's it's a really a good way to to be outdoors and get kids outdoors in a in a, in a time where you can't be on the water every day. You can't be in the woods. I mean, after yeah. turkey hunting, spring bear. 
what are you shooting until you know right. until yeah. deer season? Clay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, and and I've tried clays prepared many different ways, and none of them taste as good as a chanterelle mushroom. So it's a good uh, point. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, it, you're out looking for early season scouting or, or whatever. You know, yeah, it's no, just, it's it's a it, I, to me, it's a great way to cross over two things. Like like you say, like you're scouting or like turkey hunting. Turkey hunting, like this time where we're going tomorrow, Brian and I, we were just saying before the podcast, like, well, maybe we'll learn something today and actually pick up some food on the way out yeah. or the way in tomorrow because they are out. Yes. And it's, I I think that's the benefit of it to me is like kind of the crossover. Like you say, you found some stuff when you were archery hunting or whatever. Yep. Um, I think that crossover would be so cool. Like yeah. if you, especially if you do it, like you're grouse hunting, you get a bird you pick up some mushrooms along the way. And right. like, everybody does a cream of mushroom. Why don't I do it with wild mushroom? Yeah. <laughs> like that would yeah. be way better. Or, I mean, berries too. Yeah, yeah. berries too. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. And I think it's cool how you were saying how you can pick out, like looking at a lake map, you know, eliminate 90% of it. I think that's really cool to think about too, because I think that's something Brian and I have talked about before in the past is people, when they go hunting, they look at, you know, they'll look at what other people tell them, what they read in a magazine and everything else, but they never actually look at the animal and figure out where the animal likes to be, like what the animal's biology will, where it'll put it on a mountain or in a valley or wherever. And I think it's a cool way to hone in some of those skills too, where you actually have to take your time, research what, I guess in this case, what this plant or whatever it is likes and try to find those areas, which I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it, it seems that I know myself, uh, it seems, and a lot of other people that I know are a little bit intimidated by going out and picking stuff up and eating it. And uh, they want to make sure they're doing it right and they're picking out the right thing. So that's, you know, that's where, where guys like you come in and, you know, force to fork and what you talked to us before we turned the podcast on. We were talking a little bit about that. And, Anyone who's listening, we, we're going to point you to those places. Uh, and here, after a little bit, we'll we'll talk about where you can find better information. Because I I'm one of those guys where I'm out in the woods and I'm walking around and I see something and I wonder about it and I, and I want to kind of gain that full woodsmanship of knowing what's going on in the in in that world too. And uh, so it's an educational thing, big time. Absolutely. You know, so that's, that's really cool. So we'll get into that more, but, um, I was just going to ask what, uh, so that was kind of your introduction was just, you had a relative that, that you said, was it your dad or your grandfather who found, would find some or your uncle? Uh, it was a, a, a friend's dad. Okay. And so, and he actually, where he grew up was not too far from where Chad's fiance grew up. And his parents were Polish, and they would go out, and what they were finding was honey mushrooms. Okay. So that's one that is definitely very tricky. Um, it there's there's a deadly lookalike, so you have to know what you're doing with, with that mushroom. <laughs> Hence and, the intimidation. Yeah. It's the, the deadly gallerina is what it's called, and oh, and uh, it fits. Not a... Yeah. Why? All right, who's what? fired up to forage? Yeah. So mush- we'll get into mushroom names later. There's some real non-creative names out there in mushrooms, but um, that basically it's part of the LBM category, little brown mushrooms. So there is thousands of little brown mushrooms, and unless you know what you're doing with picking honey mushroom, you don't want to do it. But the the culture and heritage of 
wild mushrooms in Europe is incredible. So oh. they would they would pick a lot of of honey mushrooms, which is actually uh, kills the forest. It's one of two mushrooms that actually kills trees. Okay, and uh, and they would pickle them, and they would would can them, and they'd bring them to to Chicago and go hit the Polish neighborhoods and go in the bar and pay for their trip selling wild mushrooms. Wow! Wow! So, That's awesome. Yeah. So so that so his his experience in life was only with one wild mushroom, but when you find when you find honey mushrooms, they're usually really prolific, and you can you have to do something with them. You have to cook them and freeze them. You have to can them because you can find 50 pounds, like nothing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. So that was the experience. So then, um, I was actually sitting in my basement, I, the old job I did, I was, I was gone out of my house for six months out of the year and it was really tough, um, on my wife and kids. And so there's always a plan kind of, you know, like buying a house or, or having children, you know, I'm going to do it when I'm ready. And then it just happens. Well, I wasn't looking for a new job. I knew eventually I was going to get a new job. And I was looking, I'm, I'm, and it's, it's January and I'm like, man, I'm going to have a better mushroom season this year. So I'm looking at all the different Facebook pages and forums and that kind of stuff. And just seeing kind of when seasons were and where people were. And, and I see this job posting and I just ignored it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the next night pops up again. I'm like, hmm, honey, what do you think about this? And she's like, well, would it keep you home? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you should interview. So I did. And, and I got the job with, with gentleman forger and Mike and uh i was it were i mean we're still a small company but we're really small at that point that was four years ago and uh and so now we've we've proceeded to grow and and uh increase our our footprint and now we've added the retail store and and so but not only not only are we doing that i mean with the with gentleman forager we sell uh wholesale the restaurants so we're dealing with you know upwards of 70 to 80 restaurants in wow. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Is that on you guys picking or is it a mix of you guys picking it, and buying? It's, it's a mix. So okay. um, we obviously don't have mushrooms when there's snow on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> as <laughs> much as I'd like to find some, they yeah. don't exist. Yeah. Um, so we've got a group of foragers to work with out in the Pacific Northwest. So 12 months out of the year, we have wild mushrooms of one one sort or another. Um and then we, we work with uh, small farms and, and beautifully cultivated mushrooms. And so beyond, I mean, a lot of people are like, ooh, mushrooms, I don't like them. And most people have only ever had one species, because here's a dirty little secret about the mushroom industry. 95% of what people eat come from one county in Pennsylvania. And they grow Whoa. white buttons, Kerminis, and portobellas, yeah. which is all the same species. It's all agaricus. Oh, huh. So is shiitake part of that same? No, that's no. a different. Okay. That's a different mushroom. So the texture on white buttons, yes, can be slimy. Um, most people add, and that's this is another. It, it's what's one thing we stress at the store. If there's one thing, whether you buy mushrooms from us or not, do not put fat in the pan before you cook the mushrooms. You gotta cook the water out. So you get the moisture out of it, then it gets a nice brown on it, and then you add. Butter, See, I'm oil, guilty of that. I always put butter in the pan first. Yeah. It's because what we're taught with everything is you yeah. got to have something so it doesn't stick, right? And yeah. so what that does actually is it 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 holds the moisture in, so you're actually poaching the mushroom. Oh. And if you think about the difference between a poached chicken breast and a grilled chicken breast, different flavor, different yeah. texture. Yeah. So, yes, dry pan, dry saute at about five, six minutes, then add butter, salt, and pepper, and your flavor is going to be better. And of course, better, better, more exotic mushrooms taste better than 
than white buttons are yeah. used to as well. Right. So yeah. So I do in the mornings. I this is just a personal question, but in the mornings I do like a bl- a mushroom blend that shiitake, portobello, and I think white buttons or something like that. Yep. And I always put like I make my eggs on one side, put the mushrooms on top, and then flip it and then cook it. I suppose I'm just poaching them when I do that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. And you want to make sure, I mean, you can get by with white buttons. You can eat white buttons raw. You can eat cremini raw. Yeah. Um, they've got a lower amount of chitin in their cell walls. And chitin is fingernails, lobster shells. So when's the last time you had a delicious lobster shell and, and fingernail sa- salad? You depends know? on what I ate. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> depends on how many, how many beers you, you might have had the night before. But our bodies aren't built to digest that. But yeah. in those mushrooms, you can get by with them undercooked or raw. But if you start doing that specifically with morels or, um, you know, any of the other ones, they have more chitin. So you will get gastro issues. Uh, yeah. So you want to make sure to cook them like seven minutes is kind of the, the safe point. Okay. So what you want to do before you cook your eggs is you cook the mushrooms in the pan. Yeah. Then you pour your eggs on top. Yeah. And, and do the mushrooms before the bacon. Exactly. Oh. Yep. I'm a one pan man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One pan man. (laughs) It's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, okay. So you got a, you got a job with gentleman forager. Yep. Kind of describe that, that process, that beginning, uh, because you said it's a, it was a small company at that time. Yep. Um, Maybe discuss uh, maybe your sphere of influence as far as, what restaurants, well, you don't need to list what restaurants, but how did you connect with the Pacific Northwest, that kind of? So all that stuff was already in place when I came on. Okay. Um, I had replaced somebody, and um, I was not, uh, Mike was was confident in my ability from sales from my, you know, 20 years of experience in sales. Sure. And so, I mean, I was always into food. I mean, this, you know. This was not built on tofu, this body. Um, <laughs> so I was always into good food and, and eating mushrooms. And so my, my, I was more specifically hired for the sales experience and the knowledge. And I've, I've always been a tech, a tech weenie. I mean, I am a big tech weenie. Yep. Um, I'm not as, I'm not a, uh, I'm a tech weenie. Anyhow, I'll claim my nerd status. Um, and so I, I, I mean, it was a very steep learning curve. Sure. And I had to learn a lot about dealing with chefs, which was completely different than my previous life. Uh, my previous life, I was booking out sales six months in advance, and this is you're booking weekly. Yeah, you know, you got to be on your game weekly, and the the product right now is changing very quickly. You know, to what's available now and what's available, you know, two weeks ago, and what's not going to be available, and all that stuff. So we got to be in constant communication. So there's a lot of things I had to learn with that. Um, learning the the different flavor profile, profiles of all the mushrooms and and being confident about talking about, you know, I actually know more about mushrooms than I think I did, you know, than the day before. And 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 having the confidence to be able to talk with the chefs about, hey, you maybe want to try something like this. Or what sure. are you, how are you using that? Oh, well, this guy's using that over there. And, and just gaining gaining the confidence and the knowledge of, you know, the, my my cooking repertoire has definitely improved since I've since I've started working with all this stuff. And eating all the different creations from all the different chefs is pretty unique as well. And so the Pacific Northwest group we work with, I'll call our guy out there. And, and this happened last fall. Hey, uh, we need like 50 pounds of porcini. Uh, sorry, man. I only got 25 right now, 26 maybe. 
Oh, hang on. There's a knock at my door. Yeah, we'll have your porcini for you. And they get on a plane and they get here the next day and we deliver them to chefs. Oh, like nobody's wow, doing anything whoa, like that's that. That's awesome. So the antiquated part of the food industry is that it comes from California from, you know, lettuce comes from California, right? And it comes on a semi-truck and then it gets to the big food distributors and then it goes into their rotation in the white in the warehouse, which is an additional four days or so because they got to have stock. We've got, uh, we work with an aquaponics farm out of Stacy and we get uh, bib and red romaine from them. So they pick it the next day or the day after it gets to us and it gets into the restaurants. So mm-hmm. we're, we want to, we want to do that in the mushroom side because, oh, and and just increase the freshness because it increases the flavor and increases oh, yeah. your, sh- your shelf life mm-hmm. in, in your fr- refrigerator. And so, you know, at the rest, at the store, people are like, well, how long are these going to last? Well, a week or better. Oh, really? Man, I bought some at the grocery store the other day and they only asked me for two days before they started turning brown. Well, yeah, because they went to that antiquated food system. Yeah. So you've got mushrooms that are 10 days old by the time you finally buy them. Yeah. So we really want to reverse that and really get fresher product into people's hands, which number one, it's going to taste better. Number two, it's not going to spoil and eat home, so you're not wasting money. Number three, there's not going to be the waste in the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's an incredible amount of waste in the food industry right now that us getting fresh, fresher product to market is going to benefit everybody less waste better tasting you know it's just it's a it's a it's more sustainable you know it's a more it's a more practical way to look at the food the food system so we don't have goals that are too big we're just going to change a multi-billion dollar food industry and how it delivers food <laughs> you know that's so, so awesome in the park yeah, yeah that's the monkey i wake up with in my back every day wow that is, that's yeah. incredible though yeah. that's awesome we are going to take a short break we'll be right back Hey guys, Brian here. Make sure to tune in next time on the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast as myself and two other gentlemen will be joining you from deep within the Minnesota Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. We're going to be talking lake trout, gear, all things Boundary Waters, kind of our experience on a spring lake trout trip. We'll see you next time. And now, back to the show. So would you mind talking a little bit about Force to Fork and what exactly you guys do and maybe how kind of a beginner could get into learning more about what's actually because I have no clue how many how many actual different variations are there to forage in Minnesota so last year was a pretty difficult year we missed out on a couple species that just were not playing nice because of no rain um, in specific parts of the state but on average, we deliver, you know, 16 different species of wild mushrooms from Minnesota. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we That's have... That's crazy. Yeah. So, no clue. <laughs> so the uh, Mike, who started the company, wanted to base the food system or the, the wild mushroom system on what they have in the Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest has got a wild food, wild food industry that's over $2 billion a year from all the wild mushrooms and all wow. the wild greens and everything else that they sell. That is unreal. So why not take the food that's growing in our state and feed the people in our state? Right. Totally. And yeah. wild mushrooms taste delicious. And the, the health benefits of wild, just of any mushroom, every mushroom besides white buttons and creminis and portobellas, those have some health benefits, but shiitake, maitake, or otherwise hen of the woods, um, all of those have got micronutrients. Um, they've got cancer-fighting properties. 
Um, maitake is used to fight high blood pressure mm. um, in anti-inflammation. Um, we, we sell chaga, um, which grows on birch trees. We sell chaga tea at the grocery store. Or I mean, at the, at the forest to fork. Um, and chaga is used in sports medicine for, we actually had uh, kind of a cool story. So at the hunt and check a couple of years ago, uh, our neighbor Gino is, is, uh, fun guy to hang out with. And he's like, yeah, my, my daughter's married to Matt Khalil. Yeah. Oh, Matt Khalil. Left, yeah. left tackle for the yeah. Vikings. We're like, okay, Gino. He's like, well, you know, Matt's got his torn hip labrum. He's going to be up next week and I'll bring him over. Well, we ended up hanging out for two weekends with Matt Khalil and he ate at our hunting shack and, and we hung out. And when he had his torn hip labrum, he was actually on Chaga. So, I mean, you take, you talk about multi-million dollar athletes are on wild products to help wow. them heal. Huh. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Wow. So Crazy. not only they taste good, but they're actually really good for you. And so there was a study done. One of the mushrooms we grow at, at our fruiting chamber. Uh, so we've got a 10 by 14 foot by 14 foot tall glass fruiting chamber where we grow the mushrooms at the keg and case market yeah, is, is lion's mane, heresium and lion's mane. They just did a six year study and it can reduce, uh, uh, it works with your brain and, and actually makes you smarter when you eat it. And any, any cognitive, um, deterioration, it can, it can repair about 50% of cognitive deterioration. I need a what? lot of lion's so, mane. Yes. <laughs> so you'll, you'll be smarter Crazy. when you eat it. You go back to being dumb when you don't eat it, but you'll, uh. you'll be smarter when you eat it. But for, for older people, you know, it's, it's a great thing to, to help keep you sharp. Yeah. Um, it's the, we've got uh, four Sigmatic products, which um, is, is coffees and teas and, and mochas, and, and they've got lion's mane in that. Um, mm. There's lion's mane pills that you can take, and lots of uh, nutraceuticals is what they're called. Um, different, different, um, health aids from, from the mushroom world. So awesome. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Easy. That's really cool. It's, it's, um, it's cool because there's for, I don't know, it's been quite a few years now. It seems like there's been this kind of, especially in the, in the healthcare industry, there's been a push from certain people to look at more natural things. And, uh, and that's, it's pretty popular right now for people to look somewhere natural and to think that we've got these ingredients that we can go pick up out of the forest and come home and utilize in our cooking. That'll, that'll do some of those things. It's just, it's, it's, it's so cool to think that way. And like I say, I think, I just think there's so many people who have no idea myself being one of them have no idea about what's out there. I know morels. And that's it. Yeah. Yep. It yep. kind of reminds me of uh, the podcast with Allie where you guys were talking about, about bonking in the woods. Yeah. And how if you potentially could find something in the woods that could, in a way, treat yeah. that. Totally. Or mitigate that. And just having that knowledge of keeping you sharp. Yeah. Um, that would be, you know, just... That that could be a game changer for a lot of us. So. I always joke at races in the summertime when I find honeysuckle. Yeah, and, and guys are bonking. I'm like, just grab some of these. They got sugar in them. You're good to go. Yeah. Right. They grab one. They're like, I don't taste shit. <laughs> well, and, and greens are another thing too. With uh, like stinging nettles. Yeah. yeah. Stinging nettles. You make a tea out of them. You can put them in soup. You can put them. Make a nettle uh, pesto. 
Mm. Stinging nettles have got a lot of of good. I think Jamie Carlson well. just posted something. He made like pasta out of stinging nettles. Yeah. Somebody made butter. Yeah, yeah, that was Jamie, I think, too. Or Lucas? Or maybe it was Lucas, yeah. Lucas, yeah, Lucas made a bunch of butter with yeah, it. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, yeah. huh. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. It's another good you don't want to get zapped by them, but no. they're they're tasty. All you have to do is just just um parboil them quick or uh blanch them and it takes the stinging stinging aspect out of them and huh. then you can use them however you want. So wow. Whoa. That's good that. to know. I just grew up hating them. Yeah. <laughs> now I love them. <laughs> That's exactly. awesome. And what are some of the other greens? Because I always see like ramps are one that I see a lot of. Yep. Um, ramps it... are out right now. Okay. Um, fiddleheads are out right now. Um, I did see some of them today. Make, yeah. Make sure you don't eat the ones that have the white fuzzies on them because that will upset your tummy. Yeah. Um, and then there's... I'm watercress, um, lamb's quarters. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff. Yeah, I have no idea what any of this yeah. stuff. I know what fiddleheads <laughs> so, are. Yeah. I guess maybe. Uh, so this is May, uh, springtime. Yep. What What are we? Uh, those of us that might be out in the woods. Um, what What should Brian and I look for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, uh, else? <laughs> yeah. Definitely morels. Um, it's a little bit chilly right now. I mean, you're looking for an ideal soil temp of. Over 50 degrees, kind of 55, four inches down is kind of the, the good guide. Okay. So, wow. and it, it goes by, you know, crappie fishermen say when the oak leaves are as big as a squirrel's ear, it's time to go. Lilacs blooming, you should look, be looking for. And it, it's all relative to soil temp, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's what the yeah. mushrooms, the mushrooms are relating to soil temp. Yeah. So, and especially right now, again, it's going to be really tough to find anything out there. People are finding little mini ones, which there again, if you're out in the woods and you're finding mini ones, you're stomping on mini ones. You're, yeah. actually, you're hurting your chances. But in the early part of the season or the, you know, of, of any, any mushroom season, you want to look on south-facing slopes that are going to have more sun because they're going to warm quicker. Minnesota I mean, doesn't have any slopes, so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not ski slopes. Um, but so, yeah, anything uh, south-facing, anything more open yeah. along the road edges. Um, last year... It was pretty cool because we were up Fourth uh, of July. We were up in in uh, Grand Rapids, and I said, "I think I'm going to go out and drive and look for some chanterelles." And my daughter wanted to go with me, which was really cool. So she got a knife last year her her first real pocket knife, and she wanted to use her pocket knife. So we went out driving. And we're hopping into the woods, and pretty soon I'm like, "You know what? It's just not warm enough. We're going to find some road chants." And she's like, "Daddy, what a road chance! Drive <laughs> along the road until you find some chanterelles and." We found really? about eight pounds of chanterelles just driving <laughs> on some roads. Yeah. Road so you're like adopt the highway and no, well, like, <laughs> is that yeah. to, to foragers? Is that like road hunting grouse? This is like this is a no no ground uh, No, this is this is not road hunting. This isn't no, not ground swatting grouse. Um, no, it's just because along road edges there's more sun exposure. So yeah. we, I mean, you don't want to eat mushrooms from a roadside. Stop. Yeah. You know, you don't want to eat mushrooms from <laughs> very could close be the to magic a, a highway. Yes. <laughs> um, golf course is definitely a place you don't want to eat because the, the mushrooms live in their food. So yeah. orchards are another thing. You know, great place to find morels is typically in orchards. Mm. In, in a lot of cases, they, they associate with fruit trees. But think of all the ortho products and all yeah. the 
stuff that goes on them, that's all in the soil. That's all going into the mushroom, which so is... So what about like backyard apple trees? Like my neighbors have a couple backyard apple trees that produce a lot of trees, but they don't spray them or anything. Well, do they put uh, weed killer and crabgrass killer and well, this fertilizer? Is a, this is like the Carlos Avery part of their oh, yard. No, then it, then it, not an issue. Okay. I'm going to dig around in their yard. This <laughs> <laughs> Joel will be out there with a flashlight so, tonight. So tomorrow, say Brian and I find fiddleheads. Yep. What do we look at? You said the white fuzzies. Is that just like white fur all the way that, across it? Or yeah, is it... that's another fern that's not edible. Okay. The, the ones we want to eat are called ostrich ferns. And okay. those have what look like a brown or kind of a bronzy parchment around them. And so the one thing with fiddleheads, and we were earlier talking about sustainability, um, you don't want to pick every fiddlehead on a bunch unless you want to kill a plant. Yeah. You want to leave about three or four. So depending upon the age of the plant, you know, the some they might only have three. Well, you can pick one. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to pick them all. And you can pick them. I mean, we the restaurants like them for their shape when they're really young and tight, but you can eat them up until they're even unfurled a little bit. Okay. Doesn't look as good, but you're not trying to impress anybody unless you're, you know, trying to hit up Instagram with them. But it still <laughs> tastes as good. And those, there again, you wanna you wanna um, boil them for about ten minutes. Okay. Just you know, do a blanch from on about ten minutes until, you know, you think the of them like asparagus. What's that? To all the deer ticks are dead. Yeah, well, yeah, you want to definitely kill the ticks <laughs> off. But um, and just I mean, think of it as asparagus. When asparagus is fresh, it's really you can't hard, hardly put a fork through it. But after a while, you can put a fork through it. It's about 10 minutes when it, the fork will start to penetrate. Then finish it a pan with uh, saute it with olive oil or, or uh, butter, shallots, ramps. Ramps. Um, and ramps, yeah. too. Salt pepper, yeah. So ramps, they they just look like a green onion when they're in the ground then? Or? Yeah, so it's it's actually – it's, it's – um, Making a list for us, Brian. We're going shopping tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's part of the allium family, which is part of the onion family. Okay. And um, – I believe it is. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. But anyhow, it's called the wild leek. And the flavor is very much like the best part about onion and the best part about garlic. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, oh, man. That the leaves really you can good. put on a sandwich raw, and they're delicious. Um, I like to do the leaves separately like a green, do it like a spinach or a, or a, you know some green where you, where you just um, wilt them in the pan and then kind of caramelize the bulbs up, and it's ridiculous so, <laughs> that sounds good yeah. yeah especially on a on a little venison loin yeah yeah it's pretty doggone tasty and i've seen yeah i've seen like ramp butter yeah people make that that always looks really good anything yep. mixed in a butter always looks yeah and it's good, a good though. way to extend the use of them okay just impart some nice you know herbal and some nice onion yeah do you that, ever uh try and is there a way to kind of get an oil out of it too I don't know about that one. Okay. Because I know like oil? you can, yeah, kind of like that or in a way reduce it enough to have sus- something that really sustains it even further. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do a, a, a compound butter, you know, with the leaves and that kind of stuff. I suppose if you did, you just cooked it, kind of caramelized it in the in the butter and froze that or caramelized it in some oil and... And save that. That would or probably infuse work. like yeah. an olive oil with it. That might be yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like even avocado oil, which yeah. we would. I mean, it is an oily thing. Where I guess a, a ramp necess- probably isn't necessarily oily, but yeah. is there? A- I that I don't know. 
Not I wonder that. if it's more of like an infused olive oil kind of thing where like, cause you see like the garlic infused olive oils yeah. every once in a while yep. and stuff. Or if it's something like, cause that the way that you're describing how ramps would taste that in an olive oil would probably be oh, really yeah. good yep. to add to like a salad or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in the sustainability aspect, getting back to that. So don't pick every fiddlehead and really uh, it's against the law of Minnesota to pick greens from any public area. Okay. So you you know people say, "Well, I just pick a couple of ramps." Well, if everybody just picks a couple, pretty soon they're all gone. Um and that's it's something where ramps are they're rhizomatic as well as they have seeds. So they can regenerate through the rhizomes, but it takes a long time to do that. And so all the harvesting we do is from private land and Mike's been picking on this land for 10 years and you go back there and every year you're like did we pick here last year? We picked hundreds of pounds out of there. You can't even tell because huh. we pick and we pick in patches <laughs> and leave stuff. So it just, it regenerates and well, you know, this year we're not going to pick where we did last year yeah. and let that area come back, but we're not wiping the woods clean. I mean, this is so prolific. There's thousands of pounds of ramps out there. Some wow. of them are big and GPS coordinates. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you where I find every one of my mushrooms is in the woods. That's, that's as much as you're going to get out of it. You you're not in the woods, you're not going to find mushrooms. So, um, but you know, so, and the, you know, same thing with fiddleheads. So we're not out um, harvesting off, off of public lands. Um, people are, you know, we put a post up about ramps and, Somebody had posted that, oh, they're going to decimate the ramp population, and we're not, we're not doing that. We harvest sustainably. Yeah. You know, we want that to be out there for, for a long time. Yeah. So what, I guess what's the rule of thumb? Uh, you're on private land. You come across some ramps or some fiddleheads. You, you kind of already described the fiddlehead yep. factor, but what about ramps or any other green? Ramps, as far as fine – or – Figuring out what they are. Well, Pull as them. far as just oh. sustainability oh. is concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you wanted to touch on that as well. Yeah. So with ramps, I mean, if you want to harvest truly sustainable, you got a small patch or, you know, you just, you don't, you don't want to take a lot. That's fine. Um, you can kind of unearth them a little bit and trim them off, uh, trim the bulb off above where the roots are and, you're not going to have an issue. You can also replant the roots if you want to replant the roots. They will grow, specifically in the area where they are. You, where you find the most prolific uh, flushes of ramps is it's typically uh, soil that is very, uh, it's got a lot of, lot of leaf litter. And it's also, it's... That's Columbus. Yeah. We're going to find ramps tomorrow. <laughs> the drainage you don't want a lot of drainage though you want it a lot a little bit wetter more like a, a silty silty loam kind there's of. plenty of that so, yeah <laughs> so that's where you want to look yeah you know cool. and um i there's a lot of areas where the, i mean you, you're driving on the road and you're like holy cow that is a lot of ramps in that guy's forest does it just look like thick grass it's it looks kind of like daylilies okay except way deeper green okay and uh, lilies, which are out there wild as well, um, have pretty straight leaves where there's a belly to the, to the ramp leaves. Okay. So, and okay. if they smell like onion, when you break them, then that's a ramp. Yeah. Okay. Where, when we're talking about this, where, 
Chris would be a good resource for people to go, whether a book or a website or almost like a field guide for people to have pictures uh, as they're learning about this to go out and to know what they're know what they're looking at. What what are some resources that you'd suggest? So our website is is being improved all the time. Um, we just launched a new one not too long ago, forest-fork.com. Um, in our store, we've got everybody who works there is really knowledgeable and can help out, but we also have a lot of books. Okay. That was one thing that really surprised us about how many books we sell at the store. Because I figured in the day and age of Amazon, people would just come and punch the button. No, they actually want to take a book home with them that they see and, and look at right there. Yeah. So we've got, geez, probably five different books that talk about wild greens, wild okay. plants. We have another five or six that talk about mushrooms. Um, we've got local authors. Um, we've got uh, stuff from more national people. Okay. Um, but basically, this knowledge, as far as picking wild mushrooms or picking wild greens, you can take it anywhere in the country yeah. and, and apply it. Um, primarily, morels in, in our part of the world, we're looking for the dead elm. You know, you're looking for the, the fabled dead elm in the woods. What does that look like? Well, it looks like an old school broom that is a, you know, is all the branches point up. And so that's pretty discerning in the woods, especially when the, when the trees are bare right now when there are not too many leaves, pretty easy to spot that tree in the woods. Um, you get up in Northern Minnesota, you're going to focus more on popples. Uh, if you go to the turtle mountains in North Dakota, you're going to focus on ash. Uh, if you go to Georgia, you're going to focus on ash, Kentucky, I don't know where, what they focus on in Kentucky, but I was talking <laughs> they're about just that. everywhere. Yeah, I was just gonna say they're just, just, we were just talking about, about that. It's everywhere. <laughs> Maybe just anything. Yeah. Um, in in Iowa, they focus on cottonwoods along the rivers because um, moisture is pretty key for that. And as you guys have driven through Iowa, I'm sure their farming practices are not real great as far as you know, road to road, ditch to ditch. There's yeah. not a lot of cover left. Um, uh, Kansas City. I don't remember what the guy told me down there. It wasn't be- it wasn't beach. I don't remember what tree it was, but it was like wow. They they just relate to different trees, but they relate mm, to that's those crazy. Trees. So it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and so morels. I mean, you're marching through the woods. You're not paying as close of attention as you are when you're when you're looking for other mushrooms. You're looking for that dead elm. And so, and that's really like you know, like we were talking about with the hunting and fishing, keying in on things. Well, you know, morels are dead elm. Well, for the rest of the season. And that's one thing. If you want to come in and learn about stuff, we've got books. We also do classes. So we did our first one uh, a couple weeks ago and, and they're at Morrissey's uh, Irish pub. So you can come enjoy some beverages and some mushroom food. And the next class will be in June. And that'll teach you about the July mushrooms, which will be chanterelles and lobsters. And I forget the other ones that we're doing chicken of the woods, probably. Um and something else. We're doing four that. mushrooms. That'd be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Really and then in August, we'll do the fall mushrooms. So that'll be maitake and porcini, uh, saffron milk caps, and um, another one. I don't remember what the other one is. And those are, in the fall ones, those are kind of dispersed pretty well across Minnesota then? Uh, so porcini, so there's a, there's a line in Minnesota that roughly it kind of goes from just north of Hinkley down to St. Cloud, and then kind of up to Crookston. And that is the, it's the deciduous cutoff line. And so anything below that line, you're focusing on oaks. Anything above that line, you're going to focus on pines or, or some other different trees up there. 
And so it's just endless yeah, knowledge. Yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. Just versus coniferous. Yeah. The, just right with that line. That's yep. crazy. So crazy. yeah. So when you're, if you're hunting around here or around in the twin cities area or South, you're focused on Oak. You want a lot of Oak. Maple is not good for, for mushrooms because maple is a natural and it's got natural antifungal properties. Oh. So if you walk into a woods and it's all maple or you go and in somebody's woods is called a sugar bush. Don't even bother. Okay. Go go find something else to do. You're basically um, only getting in syrup and that's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say, come yep. back in the winter, tap yep. the trees. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that's, wow. yeah, so, so I mean, that's some, some easy knowledge. You know, what, just like anything else, I mean, the first time you did anything and had success, all of a sudden things clicked, right? Things yeah. you read, things you heard. Yep. You know, you're like, oh, okay, so let's see. This trail was from that bedding area or, you know, we walked this edge for pheasants or, you know, this spread for, for ducks or whatever. Um, it, it, getting into the woods is is really key in finding that stuff. So you can have a sure. lot of book knowledge, but you need a lot of, a lot of get out leather. there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So we also do, um, we do events in the field as well. So we've got one coming up in a couple of weeks, this weekend of the 17th, the Black Merrill Hootenanny up north and. We have two chefs and live music and big bonfires and adult beverages and learn how to go out in the woods and, and find black morels. And then we do another one in August called the Lobster Mushroom Jamboree. And that one is... Uh, I love gosh. the names of these. Yeah. It's well, awesome. When's the last time you are at a hootenanny, right? <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to one this weekend. <laughs> yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah. Chad's so, wedding will be a hootenanny. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a jamboree. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, that's a way to come out and get hands-on knowledge from a lot of people that are experts in the field. I mean, I'm, cool. I don't consider myself an expert. I'm, I'm learning. Um, Mike is amazing with uh, his encyclopedia of every mushroom you walk past. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a blah 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 in Latin, you know, and he knows oh, them all in Latin. Yeah. And so I'm, I know the ones that are edible, and I know how to hunt, and I don't get lost in the woods. So I'm, I'm a valuable employee for you. <laughs> Um, that's perfect yeah so and it's fun on those trips too because um some people come and they don't even care if they go out in the woods that they've been to every one of our things they come up to see their friends they come up to eat the food from the chefs which is incredible i mean you've never had three great meals in your life two days in a row like you have you know so you're eating i mean the cost of it is like you could throw it out the window with just the food alone but going into the woods and, and seeing, okay, this is where I go look for chanterelles. And, oh, here they are. Here's a pile of chanterelles. And here's lobster mushrooms. And here's, you know, other stuff. And, and you know, Indian pipes and all kinds of cool stuff. So that's a really cool way to, to kind of get out there and have somebody show you what to do. But also, I mean, we've got people that come to everyone that they're – super knowledgeable about finding mushrooms. And again, they're not out there for the learning. They're out there for the camaraderie and hanging out and having fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, and they'll, they'll help you along as well. So we've got, you know, a lot of guides in the field that will, you know, take you right to the mushrooms. So cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. I guess that really, uh, when I think about it, you know, the Aldo Leopold of the, the really the land ethic of a lot of us are really there for the, the fauna <clears throat> but we really don't know the flora like we yeah. probably should. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that aspect really would, I think, help us round out really our knowledge of, of the land, what to look for. 
what trees to look for. Like a lot of us probably don't even know what that tree is yeah. or what that plant yeah. is. Yeah. But we could identify what that animal is. And that's yeah. a that's a huge aspect, I think, for all of us to be able to really appreciate the land that we have. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think for the most part, the average hunter is very is is not very knowledge knowledgeable about about the flora. No. I think like I think it what was it on Meat Eater? They were talking about that they knew some of some of the best deer hunters in the world that they knew had no clue what tree they were sitting yep. in their deer stand. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember <laughs> it's just that. no it's, idea. It's it's a sad shame, really, for yeah. the amount of money that we well I guess for the banner that we may raise for conservation, which is great, we're conserving land, but we don't know what that land actually is. Yeah. And so that, uh, Chris, what I guess what you're promoting and all those different uh, events really does connect us to the land, not necessarily the, the animals, which is great, Yeah, but really understanding what the land is all about. Yeah. It almost, and what it what it can yield too, because yeah. holy yeah. smokes! It almost even to a greater degree than than the animals. Uh, not to take away from that, but when you it's when you think about foraging and you think about learning some of those things, it's like the f- essence of what contact outdoors means to us. It's connecting to something outside of yourself, and 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 disconnecting from from technology in the world to connect to that and to know about that stuff. I just think it's interesting. When I meet people our age, you know, and they're an Instagram influencer, I'm like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But when somebody <laughs> comes up and they know every mushroom and they they start talking, my ears perk up and I'm like, who's this person? Yeah, This is awesome. They're actually, they know stuff about the world, you yeah. know, instead of, you know, you know, and we all use social media and it's a good tool, but I think for the most part, we're just too plugged into that. We need to plug back into what we actually talk about. Yeah. You know, and even, uh, so going to, when I've gone to the boundary waters on my solo trips, you really, well, part of foraging is, is really learning how to slow down and look and appreciate almost to the millimeter of what the woods can offer. And there's a, a, a really brief anecdote is I was up with some friends up in the boundary waters we're on a portage and there's a, a bright purple thing right on the trail that I notice. I looked down and I was it's like, Matt Khalil. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this thing was probably the size of a quarter. And I was like, it must be someone must've dropped something like a piece of gum or something. And so, so it's like, okay, well I'll go pick it up because you know, it's the leave no trace thing. Found out <clears throat> looking at, it, I was like, Holy crap, that thing looks it it looks like a fungus, some sort of fungus. And it was I took some pictures of it and then researched it later and it was a it was a purple uh coral mm-hmm. mushroom which is apparently edible. Um but it's like you would like if me up there I would be like no way would I want to <laughs> eat that thing because it looks so wild and stuff. It's it looks like it should be coming from the Great Barrier Reef, not from northern Minnesota slash <laughs> Ontario, yep. Canada. Yeah. And I have friends that are walking right over it, and unfortunately, one of them accidentally stepped on it. And it's like, damn it. Right. <laughs> you ruined nature. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it. it's the whole aspect of is 
of really getting to understand the land and being able to stop and, and, and look at that stuff and seeing that, holy crap, Minnesota yeah. actually has something that crazy that it, it literally looks like it comes from a reef. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I've also seen uh, white. I think it's white coral yep. mushroom up there too. Lion's mane is another one that it's basically like coral turned upside down. It grows like a waterfall. That's crazy looking. Mm-hmm. Um, Devil's urn is a red. <laughs> Some of them have such looking. awesome yeah. names. And then you've got uh, yeah, but uh, th- I mean, there's just really really crazy stuff, and um, that's one thing that's really cool with with getting kids out there to do this as well. Um, or adults. I mean, we've got, um, you know, kids just want to be out there and play. And I love seeing my kids at the hunting shack because, oh, can we go to the castle? What's the castle? What well, was a down tree? And they turn it into their castle in the woods. And, yeah, you know, nice. we always go up there and whose who's poop is this and whose track is this? And, yeah. and uh, teach them all that kind of stuff. But it's one of those things, too, where the colors and, the you know, it really attracts kids. And kids are actually really awesome mushroom hunters. Because not only are they lower to the ground, they've got a better sight line to be able to see things, yep. but they don't have weddings, mortgages, <laughs> truck payments, taxes, tabs. You know, they uh, can actually disconnect. They, they, they yeah. can totally disconnect. But I mean, in this day and age and in this world, like it's really important to get kids away from that TV and technology. Yeah. You know? and, and get them into thinking about, you know, and I think right now the, the younger, you know, 20 somethings and that really are un, I mean definitely consciously are connected to where their food comes from but they still you know don't really know like the nature side of where their food comes from they're worried yeah. about having yeah. organic and kombucha and all that stuff but this is a great way to get everybody involved <laughs> they don't have to go you know learn how to shoot they don't have to have somebody mentor them in that aspect which you know land and all that other things can be a real real challenge sometimes but just to get them in the woods and get them in nature and get them connecting with yeah. you know, what that is and yeah. and educating them. So totally getting away from Starbucks and Instagram and all that and yeah, and, right, right. And and then and by the way, that's food. So yeah. it's, a, it's yeah. a pretty cool aspect. It's interesting. I was I went on a bike ride. Uh, would have been Monday. Was kind of nice. I think that's probably it. But. You guys know on Lexington here, just on the right hand side, if you're going if you're going towards 35, there's like a wildlife. Have you guys seen that? There's like a wildlife preserve that just popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's like a parking lot. Yeah. yeah, it's in Blaine. Yep. yep. And you pull off, and it's just like this like boardwalk out. It's a boardwalk over a swamp. Yeah. yeah and it was funny because I got back from my ride, and I'm sitting there and talking about being connected to the outdoors more than we are to social media. I remember I got back to my my truck and as i'm putting my bike away and and everything i'm like see these two girls pull in in a car and one of them literally is sitting there for the five minutes it took me to like go take a pee come back put my bike in the back of my truck get settled in to get ready to leave just watching her through the window just like selfie angles for so long like i thought she was i thought she was like doing that to get me to laugh so i kept looking so that she'd look at me and then i'd laugh like oh man yeah that is funny but she was doing it for real and she's sitting in a wildlife preserve parking lot like doing this and i'm like hey the lighting must have been perfect perfect i know i'm like i'm like in the car i'm like hey oh go take pictures 
of what's out there. Yeah. You know, go out there and take pictures. Don't quit taking pictures of yourself. But it just, it, it caught me off guard. I'm like, wow, that's like, we're sitting in a place where they obviously came there to go walk around and look, you know, and, but even in the midst of being right in the middle of it, we can be so distracted. And it's just, that's why it's good to have mentors. It's good to have things like force to fork, have a podcast where we can talk about this stuff because I think it helps educate people and and just click some things in our mindset a little bit. You know, I've had things like that happen to me many times where I've just been totally, I mean, until pretty much today, I've been oblivious to the majority of foraging that's out there, you know, and now I'm really pumped about it, you know. Yeah, We'll, we'll pick a bunch of crap tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> Joe and I will turkey hunt for about ten well, minutes. Yeah. You guys, can we text, gotta have salad you, with our turkey. You can, you can text me pictures, and I can tell you if it's edible. There yeah, you go. Yeah. That's yeah. I've, I've definitely it's, taken uh, akin to that for yep. sure. <laughs> what are the ones that will kill you? <laughs> Honestly, it's a long there's list. not. <laughs> no, there, it's really not. It's not that many, and that's the big fear that people have: is that you know we've. <laughs> We, you're gonna you're gonna die if you eat that mushroom. <laughs> and there was a tragic thing that happened with uh, a, a monk family in St. Paul. It was about five years ago, and they ate a mushroom that thought that looked like what they picked back home, and oh. it was the destroying destroying angel, and it actually killed a couple of the family members. And Jeez. so yeah, so the basic rule of thumb, and this is, I can. I, I can say this with pretty good confidence is that if it has gills, don't eat it. And gills are when you pick the mushroom up, like on a portobello, the brown things that you can peel off. If, if it has gills, don't eat it. And I mean, that would leave you to eat chicken of the woods hen of the woods or maitake, chanterelles, lobsters, um, black trumpets, porcini, I mean, there's a lot that you can that you can do. So we talked about the LBMs. If it's little and brown, or you're not sure, don't eat it. Um, don't eat anything big and white and the toadstool-looking mushroom. Um, the red cap toadstool ones, which that's an interesting story. There's a theory on that's why Santa Claus is red and white. You see, everybody's seen the red and white toadstool-looking mushroom in the woods. Yeah, oh, yeah. The chim the stockings were hung by the chimney with care to dry the mushrooms because it actually is a psychotropic mushroom. And oh, so huh. the so the com- Kamchatka. There you go, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Red well, white. you got to go through a little bit of a process, and we got to figure out who's the guinea pig on this. Yeah. So the the native native, I don't know what you'd call them, native Kamchatkans, the the native people to on the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia, it's the only mushroom they pick is is that red and white toadstool mushroom. So the shaman eats it. He gets violently ill, and then they drink his pee. The people drink his pee, and then they get. <laughs> Uh, we're Before not going that drinking far. the pee. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. So, uh, it uh, yeah. So who's gonna, eat, <laughs> who's gonna eat the mushroom and puke and, and poop themselves, and who's gonna drink the pee? All right, you guys figure that out later. That's crazy. I won't partake in that. But, <laughs> no, me either. Um, so, um, and it's really, be a better way. Yeah. So really, all of those. If you if you know as a as a general rule, and I I don't want to get you know, a lot of mail about this, but as a general rule, there's five or six safe species that if you just stay away from gills, you know, then there's other determining factors, obviously that go into the identification. And that's why you come to the classes and, 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 you know, um, to help make sure that you're eating the right thing. But that's, that's a pretty good general rule. 
Sure. Um, and you know the the internet is pretty wild, and mushroom people are are definitely an interesting bunch because if so. Mushroom Let, people sounds really weird. Well, <laughs> just people who are into <laughs> mushrooms because nowhere else in no other food group would you post a fuzzy picture of a half rotten mushroom and go, ID, please, can I eat this? And it happens all the time. Would you take a picture of green venison and go, what do you think? Does this look tasty? <laughs> like that's the equivalent of what they're doing. <laughs> but the, the, and and not, to, not, not, to make fun of, not, not to make fun or belittle those people, but that's the drive... And, and and we're really kind of bipolar on this. People either are like really scared and hate mushrooms or people love mushrooms so much they want to eat this green half rotten thing because <laughs> I've never eaten this species before. I mean, yeah. the, the drive is incredible. So <sighs> if it's rotten and it looks like you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. Yeah. Um, but no, don't rely on the internet for doing IDs. I mean, sure. there, right. the, you, you can get into some, some serious trouble with some of them. Um, but for the most part, I mean, any of the lookalikes, again, of the what they call the safe six, um, you're at worst you're going to get some stomach upset and wish, you know, some of them you're going to wish that you were dead, but it's not going to kill you. Okay. So do you have uh, so right around this time also it seems like pheasant backs are starting to kick in and some of them it's a uh, if they get too big they're inedible in the fact that. They're like chewing on leather. Yes, they taste really good. So you can grind you them up and make a make a croquette out of them. Okay. Um, the rule of thumb with with pheasant back <laughs> is no bigger than your hand and really small pores. They have pores, not gills. So there's holes in the bottom, and that's how they disperse their spores. If the pores are really tight and it's smaller than your hand, typically it's going to be an edible mushroom. Now that is not the case with every pheasant back. And you'll find lots of chewy pheasant backs that are smaller than your hand and have tight pores. Yep. So it just it's a matter of cutting them up and eating them, and or cutting them up and cooking one and seeing if it's if it's because it's yeah. like chewing on leather. When it's not good, it's like chewing on leather. Yeah. And that's really most of the species that aren't. I mean, like I said, there's there's definitely uh, you know poisonous ones, but most of the species of mushrooms just are inedible. They don't taste good. You can't chew them. They're just not not edible species. So yeah, the, the cool one. thing about pheasant back is they kind of have a little bit of a cucumber taste, yes. to them, which yep. is crazy <laughs> that a mushroom would have yeah. that crazy. So that was, that's what intrigued me. And, um, it's You're just a big trying cucumber to fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> you ever heard of gin and tonic? Yeah. You should try <laughs> Hendrix with cucumber. Yeah. So maybe this year maybe I'll do a Hendrix and there uh, go. pheasant bags. <laughs> yeah. Actually they're good pickled. Pheasant bags. Oh, if I you bet. get a tender one, they're good pickled. Yeah. Wow. So crazy. Interesting texture. So as we as we kinda uh we're kinda coming up on time, as we there's just so much. This is one of the another one of those subjects. Like we have these once in a while where we have someone on and we're like, man, this could be a five-hour podcast. Yeah. And then we could do another five-hour podcast the next day. So give give people a, um, just to all of our listeners, just a direction on where to find you. I know you mentioned Ke- uh, Ke- uh, Keg and Case. Keg and Case Market is on West 7th Street in St. Paul. Yep. Voted the number one new food hall in the country, according to USA Today. Hey, yeah, we've got, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, the mall of America for food people. Yeah. And we've got 
one of the best bakers in the country in there. We've got one of the best sausage makers in the world. The guy went just went to Germany and won like 20 medals against German, you know, European butchers. Uh, (laughs) The cheese place has got great cheese. You got Revival smoked meats um, in bloom, uh, cotton candy that is amazing, 30-something, 40-something flavors of cotton candy that are all delicious, ice cream, coffee. I mean, we've got brewery upstairs. It's got it all. Um, And that's a place where if you want to come forage, tick-free and mosquito-free and... (laughs) controlled climate you can come forage right in our case um maybe see the stuff for the first time and try it um and uh forest-fork.com is our website you can find out more about all the events that we do um we're going to be doing some stuff in there we actually got a foraging knife from a third generation or well it's actually all three of them are making knives third generation Syrian knife making family in, in wisconsin that makes we've got beautiful knives damascus steel um we've got a foraging knife coming um, so we're going to be selling stuff online as well. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We've got the, the black Merle Hootenanny coming up. Then we've got the wild food Fandango, which is 15 chefs, uh, four bands, couple Nash, five bands, couple national, national acts. We got the big wound kind country. Um, so you can come eat. And then actually, if you don't, if, if you're at Chad's wedding and you can't make it to the food part, <laughs> uh, we have a free concert that night. Um, so the music is all free once the food event is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got our black or the, uh, lobster mushroom jamboree in August. We've got, uh, June, we've got a mushroom identification class and we've got a gen- mushroom identification class in August. So we really are trying to be holistic yeah. um, with how we approach this and, and the wild food. And we do, we've had a couple of schools come through already and see our chamber. Yeah. Uh, the mushroom chamber gets to talk to them about mushrooms cool. and the wild foods and try all the berries. We have 17 berries. Um, oh, that man, we sell at the store. Uh, wow. Talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's awesome. And we do, we've done um, work with high school kids and, and teaching them and expanding the mushroom thing. Cause that's one thing that if, if you, my, my wife and kids like to watch chopped and guys grocery games and that kind of stuff, which actually the chef that's cooking at um, uh, the black Merle Hootenanny was on guys grocery games. Oh um, wow. Yeah. So um, you've seen a real, uh, proliferation of mushrooms being used on there. So yeah. it's not just white buttons. It's actually mushrooms as an ingredient. So chop the other night was ramps and black trumpets. Um, That's cool. And chanterelles and porcini. And so the, the general population is seeing more of that stuff. So we're really kind of on the forefront of what's breaking through with this new, more exotic type of mushrooms. And not only from a delicious standpoint, but from a, from a health standpoint, um, and, and so we're helping to spread that news with, uh, there's a, uh, cooking class that, uh, or cooking chef kind of instruction in school called pro start. We've worked with a couple of those. We're going to look to work with more of those in the future. Um, and then my buddy does uh, stage, which is a program that works with high school kids, um, and the school kids. So we're, we're. A you know, lot going on. That's, yeah, it's, that's great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So it's it's really a holistic thing. And that's really, you know, kind of changing. You know, I think if, well, you know, 20 years ago, you told somebody that people are going to be paying $4 for a bottle of water, you would have been like, yeah, right. Now they're, you know, buying kombucha and, and, and eating in different ways and really focusing on what they're eating and how they're eating. And, and so this really fits into it from a from a health standpoint, not only from a delicious standpoint. So yeah, totally, 
Totally. Well, you heard it there. You've got a lot of opportunity. Chris just lined out a whole bunch of awesome opportunities. If you're interested in this or this podcast caught your ear about foraging, then then there's the opportunities and go get after it. Yeah. And I just, I got a couple more things. Frequently asked questions at our store and, and just in yeah. general. Um, so, you know, we really, in the foraging, in the, in the identification classes, we talk about carrier mushrooms. So when you pick a mushroom in the wild... It's obviously coming from the ground, from the dirt, okay? You want to put them in a basket um, or some other vessel that's rigid that keeps the mushrooms in good shape. Trim off the dirt before you put them in there. Otherwise, when you come home with a bunch of dirty mushrooms, you're going to have really dirty mushrooms that you're not going to want to clean and you don't want to waste the food. Um, so so take and trim them. Um, no, don't use an onion bag to disperse spores. We were talking before the podcast. Um, spores take, there's a female part and a male part, and they have to fall in love and get married before it. And it, it's, it's, it has to be the ideal situation. So putting them in an onion bag to disperse spores, if that actually worked, there would be trails of mushrooms coming in and out of the woods when people are, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> they want to grow in the area they want to grow Although in. Although we wish that yes. was the case. If we yeah. wish that was the case, mm-hmm. it's realistically not the case. Okay. Um, what are some of the other frequently asked? What are what are what are some general questions that you guys have about that kind of stuff? No, you cannot grow morels. Um, okay. So the mushrooms we cultivate in the chamber are called saprophytes, and they actually eat the wood. So they're what they're what break down. They're part of what break down the forest. If we didn't have fungus, um, we would have no room for any trees to fall over because they just they wouldn't disappear. So you guys have all cut wood before, I'm assuming, right? You know what punky wood is? Uh. That's Punky wood has been devoured by fungus already. Okay. So the the mushrooms, the saprophytes are eating the the uh, cellulose that make up the tree, and so um, the chanterelles and morels and porcini and lobsters and black trumpets and a bunch of those out there are mycorrhizal, and so the organism exists below the ground. So it's a whole network of, of filaments, basically. In the, and so the mushroom is actually the fruit of, of the organism. So you can't duplicate that. Not in, I mean, It's nature that can do it. And yeah. yeah. That. Wow. That's crazy. So, yeah. So <laughs> as far as... like sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. So as it's far like as picking down. goes, that's why <laughs> they, they all relate to a specific tree. There's a symbiotic relationship with a tree. Um, and that's why you're looking for elms for... For morels, you're looking for oaks for other stuff or pines up north. Um, but uh, so the, the organisms exist below the soil. So, no, there is you, you, it's not tipping them versus cutting them nice. I mean, you, you can pick them however you want, you're not destroying anything because the organism is way bigger than you underneath the ground. And actually, mushrooms like disturbance, they like to grow by trails through the woods, yeah. they like they like human interaction. Mm. So, um, breaking up a little bit of soil. It might cause a better flush to happen, but it's definitely not going to hurt the organism. Wow. I was going to ask, what makes a good forging knife? What kind of design or... So the one that we designed uh, is, it's, there are forging knives out there. Um, none are as pretty as ours with the Damascus, but um, <laughs> it's basically got a curve like a hawkbill blade so okay. that you can pull if you're having to harvest through some pick, prickly stuff or whatever, you can just pull the knife instead of having to push it. Oh, A lot easier yeah. to harvest, or when you're cleaning them, you're pulling your hand, and you got more blade surface yeah. to be able to clean it easier. It's got a brush built into it, so you can clean off any of the nasty bits, especially on 
dirtier mushrooms like a lobster mushroom, very dirty mushroom. Um, and so you can clean it off before you put it in your basket and keep everything else cleaner. Nice. nice. That's uh, cool. Wow. Kind of speaking of, I guess we're going off of knives really quick, but uh, what are some what are some things to for people to be aware of as far as you were mentioning baskets? Yep. Um, go to Goodwill. Clothing, yeah, go to Goodwill uh, and get a basket. Any basket will work. Okay. Mine got little danglies on it. It's very, very cute. Very appropriate <laughs> for the woods. Little doilies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, good, you know, hiking boots or hiking shoes. Obviously good socks. Um, you want to be, if you're walking and you're putting a lot of miles, especially for morels, you can put in a lot of miles. You want to be comfortable. Um, tick protection, as we all know, you know, the whole Lyme disease thing has become a big aspect. Um, so permethrin or whatever other. Yeah. Uh, stuff you want to spray on, or you can get clothes that are impregnated with it so you don't have to worry about it. Um, a, um, a knife is sometimes, I mean, if you're harvest, if you're harvesting a lot of lobsters, you can carry a stiff brush, a stiff bristled um, paintbrush with you to help brush stuff off even more so. Um, you know, sunscreen, hat, bug spray, thermocell. Um, if we find prolific patches, especially at our hunting shack, my hunting shack's really good for black trumpets. Um, not much good for anything else, uh, just because of the soil type. Like I find eight chanterelles every year. Like, oh, we're on the hill. Time to pick those four, and then or there's two, and then you know, um, it's really. I mean, you're in the woods. It's July, and it's flies and mosquitoes. Yeah. So we find we find the patches of black trumpets. We throw a thermosel in this one. We drive down, find the next patch wherever it is, and throw a thermosel there. We'll throw three thermosels out. So when we come back to the first one. It's cleared out, ready to oh, go. That's a we'll good idea. Yeah. yeah, and that's one thing about the chanterelles and the lobsters and and black trumpets and all that is they all come back year after year in the same spot. Where morels, because they're associated with a dying tree, dead elm, they're the only ones that take uh, a tree that is stressed in order to to fruit. Ah, uh, so that's why it's a dying. You know, out west we get a lot of the burn morels. So you get a forest fire out west. The next year, it's going to produce morels like crazy. Okay. We actually went up and picked a burn up in Saskatchewan last year. And I'll, that's the spot I'll tell you exactly where it's at. Go to Flin Flon, take a left, go out of town, go to where you see the burn stuff, and it's morels city. It's crazy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so go to Saskatchewan. Yeah. The so one listener from that hour, area. Yeah. <laughs> 14 hours. is like, Sh- shut up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 300,000 300, 300, 300, hectare acre fire. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so there's plenty of room for everybody to pick up. There. Yeah. I mean, there's probably... Wow. Th- Two million pounds, or not two million, but thousands of pounds that went to waste last year because nobody could get to it. I mean, it's just in the middle Crazy. of nowhere. Uh, that's so. Yeah, that like there's worth a, a trip. There's a morel yeah. spot. You want to know where to go hunt morels? I'll tell you there right it is. there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they rely on stress from the tree in order to in order to uh, to fruit, and they're the only one that does that. So everything else uh, will come back in the same spot. Okay. Um, oysters eat eat the woods, so they don't always appear in the same spot. Chicken of the woods. Don't always appear in the same spot. Hen of the woods don't appear in the same spot. Hen of the woods is the other one I mentioned. Honey before it kills trees. Um, um, hen of the woods also kills trees. Okay. So if you get a hen of the woods on your oak, you better get your chainsaw sharp in about a year or two because your tree is going to come down. Wow! Yeah. Huh. Crazy! Wow! That's cool. This is like yeah. a whole nother world. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you get into this, and it sounds like it's just a whole nother world that I don't think. You know, most people just haven't discovered. That's cool. Yeah. And wow. so the, the easiest way is you don't have to be intimidated by how much there is to know. 
you know, if if you start with Morels, that's great. Morel, you know, at best is a three week season. Everything else starts in July and goes until we get our second hard frost, second hard freeze. Okay. So it could be October. I mean, we were delivering mushrooms in November three years ago. Okay. Wow. So okay. you you've extended that season. So maybe you just learned chanterelles. You know what? You got a you're gonna have a busy couple months just picking chanterelles and keep adding a mushroom to that every year. It doesn't have to be that you have to be experts on all these mushrooms. Be an expert on chanterelles and sure. then move beyond. Move that. on. Yep. Like you said earlier in the podcast, just get get your feet wet. Get out there and I feel like that I, I think of all the research and reading I've done for the things I'm interested in, I feel like the best the best understanding really comes from just putting your feet on the ground. Yep. Going out there and figuring it out and learning things cuz I just think I think I think a week in the whitetail stand could if you pay attention could teach you more than reading 20 books. Mm-hmm. Oh, by far. You know, just yeah. learning by being there in the moment. So that's I I hear you there. That just seems to be the right way to do it. So, yeah, like me I'm not in- intimidated anymore, thanks to Chris after tonight. But I was. I was like, man, I just don't know. And uh, so, you know, that all the resources you shared, all the knowledge, and then, yeah, just get out there. Just get out there and, and do it, you know, and, and that's awesome. And One take a really, kid. Yeah, yeah, take a kid. One really quick plug, try to be quick, is try to get to that Wild Food Fandango. Anyone out there, because... If you want to know what Chris is saying with fresh and taste factor, that's where you go. Uh, last year I, w- I went and there was like curry and there's like a, there's tacos and there was like some sort of jam or something like that. I don't know. I forgot what, whoever won it last year. Do you remember who won it? Yeah. Daniel Cataldo from uh, 925 in Wyzetta. Yeah. That was it. I, I forgot what it was, but it was insane. Yeah, it was a it was a pasta dish, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the type of pasta because Daniel is very particular about his pasta. He's very good at it. He's he hand makes all of his pasta, um, but it was filled with whatever I, I don't remember right now. I Meaning, go to our, go to our Facebook page or website and 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 see the stuff from last year. But yeah, all the chefs take it serious, and um, I mean, it is fun. I mean, nobody's going to win a million dollars and and chef of the year and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's their turn to get away from some of the more basic stuff they cook on their menus and really let their creativity flow with unlimited ingredients. Yeah. So, and especially since it's all freedom, they can really play. And all the ingredients are free, so they they're not restricted by anything. Sure. Yeah. I've got some some buddies that are chefs, and they love stuff like that where they yeah. can just kind of go wild with it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a good way to get introduced to uh, if you want you want to get out of if you're just a burger person, you want to try some different food, it's a good thing to do that, but it's also a good way to get introduced to wild food. I mean, mm-hmm. there's Yep. Man, 20 different wild ingredients and and cultivated stuff as well that they use, but you know, from ramps, wild onions, um water crab. I mean, there's there's just a lot of stuff. So yeah, cool. Loaded. It was loaded. Everything tasted amazing. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, a lot of the the cooks, well, every one of the cooks was personable, uh, where you could actually talk to them and um you get that connection where yeah. you don't get that connection normally at a restaurant. 
Um, so right. getting that aspect too is a huge thing. And then you got music and adult beverages to boot. It's yes. just, it's a great time. Cool. A really great time. Did you, so. did you sell the chefs on your Philly duck steak? No, that was, <laughs> that was still, uh, that was still percolating. Oh. So. <laughs> percolating. That was still in the smoker. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so yeah, much. Thanks, um, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you guys. There's so much here. We're going to have to, you know, when we say this, when we've got guests like this, we're going to have to hit this again at some point. And, uh, but, you know, guys listening out there, guys and gals, you know, take Chris's advice, get out, just get out there, um, go to the website and you said forest.fork.com. Yep. And then head down to Kagan Case. I've been there a couple of times and I didn't even know that's what was going on. I knew, could see there's, it was mushrooms, but I didn't, I didn't really know. And now putting that together, that's really cool. Um, if you've been there, check that out. Stop by, ask questions. Like you said, books, grab yourself one of those beautiful foraging knives and, uh yeah that's that's awesome so thanks again man for yeah thank you for, for having me jumping on with us it's really yeah. cool any last i guess last things that we may have missed or things you wanted to mention uh try mushrooms don't be intimidated by them for all the people that are nervous about trying different stuff you know it's delicious food and i think Life is too short to only eat burgers as much as i like burgers <laughs> like <laughs> right. life is too short too yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> totally yeah Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. And until then, uh, get out, do some of this stuff. Get out and hunt, get out and forage, get out and fish, get out and bird watch, hike, run, whatever you want to do, whatever you like to do, get out and do some of that stuff. Come in contact with the outdoors. So we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, Siri, play the latest episode of the Backcountry Dreaming podcast. Okay. Backcountry Dreaming podcast coming up. Go out, and I've always thought that turkey hunting might be one of the best hunts to take somebody out on that maybe has never hunted before or is reintroduced. Oh, it's crazy fun. It's active. Yeah. It's action. Hey, Apple users, did you know you can access the Backcountry Dreaming podcast using Siri? You can also find us on Spotify and Stitcher. But no matter where you get your podcasts, remember to subscribe and give us a rating and review. We love your feedback. Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.